everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Normie Frenia. Tristan Ricks is on vacation for the next week, which means for the, this episode and the next two episodes, it is just me. I didn't have any guests planned. We didn't really plan this out very well. So for these three episodes upcoming, you are going to hear me read off one of the greatest epic stories ever told. It is the central Senate text to the Kauravas and the Pandavas and the war that they had. It is the story of the Mahabharata, and more importantly, I'm going to be reading the Bhagavad Gita, or the Song of God. It is a Hindu epic set 5,000 years ago in a war that cost the lives of millions of people. I figured since the last thing I read you was the Call of Cthulhu, something else mythical and fantastical would suit you well. Without further ado, I'm going to start in the first shloka at the very beginning of the Bhagavad Gita. It begins with the king Dhritarashtra, who is the blind king of the Pandavas and the Kuravas. They are brotherly tribes, each making up hundreds of thousands and millions of people. They went to war over a petty squabble, and it cost them every one of their lives, barring about a dozen people. It begins with this blind king asking Sanjaya, the storyteller, what happened during the battle of Kurukshetra. He says to Sanjaya, What happened when my sons and the sons of Pandu assembled for the battle at the holy place of Kurukshetra? Sanjaya said, Seeing the Pandavas soldiers and armies arrayed for the battle, King Duryodhan approached Dronacharya and said, O oh, my teacher, please observe the great armies of the Pandavas arranged in military formation by your brilliant disciple Durastaryoma. Among these soldiers are the expert archers Bhima, Arjuna, and others equally skilled in battle, like Satyaika, King Virata, the great fighter Drupada, Dirkskatetu, Chekitana, and the mighty hero Karijaj, Purujit, Kuntiboja, the noble king Saibdya, the valiant Yudamanyu, the heroic Uttamarjua, Abhidamayu, and the sons of Draupadi. They are Gaul great warriors indeed. O best of the twice-born, please consider too, the foremost among us, the commanders of my armies, I submit their names before you. Firstly, there is your respected self, then Bhisma, Karna, the ever-victorious Karpachaya, Avatama, Vikarna, Burisvrava, Jayadratha, and many other heroes skilled in the art of warfare, all armed with various weapons and prepared to lay down their very lives for me. The strength of our army, headed by Bhishma, seems inestimable. Yet the strength of the Pandavas' army, protected by Bhima, is estimable. Now take up your post at the strategic points of the formation and support of Bhishma. Then with a warlike cry and the roar of a lion, the venerable elder, Bhishma, loudly blew his conch shell to encourage Duryodhan. At once there arose a tumultuous vibration of conch shells, kettle drums, hand drums, bugles, and the resounding of many instruments. Then the Lord, Sri Krishna, who you, gentle viewer, may know as an avatar of their head supreme god, Vishnu. They believe that once every age, to maintain order and balance, Vishnu descends in the form of a human called an avatar to dispense this justice and equilibrium. In this age, 5,000 years ago, he came in the form of Sri Krishna. It says, Lord Sri Krishna and Arjuna, in a magnificent chariot drawn by white horses, blew their divine conch shells. Arjuna blew his conch shell. Dayanjaya sounded his, the Devadatta, and Bhimasen, the performer of mighty tasks, blew the conch shell Paundra. King Yudhisitru, the son of Kunti, blew the Anatta Vijaya, while Nakul and Sahadev blew the conch shells Sugosa and Mandipuspaka. 
O Lord of the earth, the skilled archer, the great warrior, Durstar Yumna, King Virata, the unconquerable Satyaki, King Drupata, the sons of Draupadi, and the mighty son of Sabadara, Ahibaymanyu, all blew their conch shells. Resounding throughout the land and the heavens, the tremendous vibration of those conch shells pierced the hearts of the sons of Durstariata. O king, as the battle was about to commence, Arjuna, whose chariot was adorned with the flag of Hanuman, Hanuman was a previous incarnation of Vishnu, seeing Duryodhan and his army poised for battle, took up his bow and said to Sri Krishna, O Krishna, please place my chariot between the two armies, so I may observe the warriors with whom I must contend on this battlefield, and who have come to fight for the satisfaction of the wicked Duryodhan. Duryodhan was the leader of the Kuravas. Arjuna was the leader of the Pandavas. Sanjaya said, O descendant of Bharat, after the vigilant Arjuna spoke these words, Sri Krishna, the lord of the perception of all living beings, drew the grand chariot between the two armies, before Bhishma, Drona, and all the chieftains of the earth. The lord then said, O Partha, behold the Karavas assembled here for battle. There, within both armies, Arjuna saw paternal and maternal elders, grandfathers, teachers, brothers, sons, grandsons, fathers-in-law, friends, and other well-wishers. Seeing his kinsmen present on the battlefield, Arjuna, the son of Kunti, was grief-stricken and overcome with pity. He said, O Krishna, seeing all these relatives and friends assembled and eager for battle, the strength is draining from my limbs, and my mouth is parched. I am trembling, and the hairs on my body are standing on end. My skin is burning, and I am losing grip of my Gandiva bow. O Kesava, I cannot maintain my composure any longer. My mind is disturbed, and I see bad omens. I do not see any good in killing my kinsmen in this battle, O Krishna. I have no wish for victory, or to enjoy a kingdom. O Govinda, if those for whom we desire all this, teachers, our elders, the grandfathers and fathers-in-law, grandsons and brothers-in-law, and our other relatives, are about to risk their wealth and lives in battle, of what value is our kingdom and its royal pleasures, or even life itself? O Madhusudan, I do not wish to kill them even though I myself may be killed. O Jandardan, even if we gain sovereignty over the three worlds, not to speak of ruling the earth, how can we be happy if we kill the sons of Dhritarashtra? Only sin will befall us if we slay our teachers and guardians, though they may be our adversaries. We cannot take the lives of our own relatives, the sons of the king. O Madhava, how can we be happy by killing our kinsmen? Although they, overwhelmed with greed, cannot see the sin of betraying one's own friends and destroying the dynasty, O Janadardan, how can we not refrain from this heinous act, being in full knowledge of this consequence? With the decline of the dynasty, its religious tra traditions are lost. When religious practices are lost, irreligion overcomes the entire dynasty. O Krishna, descendant of the Vrishni dynasty, when the dynasty is thus overcome by irreligion, the women of the family become corrupt, and adulterated progeny is the result. Adulterated progeny forces both the family and its aggressors into a hellish existence. The same fate befalls their ancestors, because regular offerings of food and water to them cease. Such heinous acts by the destroyers of the dynasty are the cause of adulterated progeny, ruining the culture of a civilized society and of noble lineage. O Janadardan, we have heard that persons whose familial, social, and religious traditions are disrupted and dwell always in hell. Alas, what a grave sin we have resolved to commit. Driven by greed for trifling royal happiness, we are about to slay our own kinsmen. If unarmed and unresisting, I am killed on this battlefield by the sons of the king, that will be more auspicious to me. Sanjaya said there on the battlefield, speaking these words, Arjuna cast aside his bow and arrows and sat down on the chariot, his heart filled with sadness. Sanjaya said, The Supreme Lord, 
Mahusudan, then spoke to the saddened Arjuna, whose heart was filled with pity, his eyes brimming with tears. The Supreme Lord said, O Arjuna, such illusion does not overcome you at this crucial moment, surely. This does not befit a warrior, and it leads not to heaven but to infamy. O son of Kunti, give up this cowardice, for it does not befit you. O great hero, cast off this petty weakness of heart, and arise for battle. Arjun said, O supreme lord, slayer of the enemy, how can I counterattack? Shooting arrows at the venerable Bhishma and my teacher Drona, who are worthy of my worship. It is better to live in this world and beg, without taking the lives of our noble elders and teachers. Otherwise, by killing them, we shall remain in this world only to enjoy their wealth and possessions tainted with their blood. I cannot understand which will be better, victory or defeat. If we kill the sons of the king, who now will stand before us on the battlefront? We shall not wish to live. Now I am bewildered. What is my dharma? I am losing heart and I am distraught. Please tell me clearly what is the best course of action to take. I am your surrendered disciple. Please instruct me. Even if we gain an unrivaled, flourishing kingdom on earth and sovereignty over heaven, I see nothing to dispel my debilitating grief. Sanjaya said, Thus the valiant, vigilant Arjuna spoke to Krishna, the lord of all senses of all beings. Then he declared, Govinda, I will not fight. O Bharat, there amidst the armies, Sri Krishna, smiling, spoke thus to the grief-stricken Arjuna. The Lord said, O Arjuna, you are lamenting for that which is unworthy of grief, yet you speak words of wisdom. The wise lament neither for the living nor the dead. Neither was there a time when you, I, or all these kings did not exist. Just as we exist in the present, so have we existed in the past, and shall continue to exist far into the future. As the living being passes through the bodily changes of childhood, youth, and old age, it similarly attains another body at death. The wise are not deluded by this. O son of Kunti, the engagement of the senses with their objects produces the sensations of cold, heat, pleasure, and pain. But these effects are temporary. They come and they go. Therefore, O Baharat, you must endure them. O noblest of men, the wise man who is equipoised in pleasure and pain is undisturbed by sense experiences. He alone is qualified for immortality. Of the Asat, which is the destructible object, there is no external existence. But of the Sat, the eternal object, there is no destruction or change. The nature of each has been realized by the seers of truth. Know that the soul by which the entire body is pervaded is indestructible. No one can destroy the imperishable soul. The soul is eternal, indestructible, and immeasurable. Only these physical bodies are subject to destruction. Therefore you must fight, O Bharat. Those who think the living being can kill and those who think that they can be killed are ignorant of the true nature of the soul, for the soul neither kills nor is killed. The soul is neither born nor dies. It has neither been nor will be it created, because it is unborn and eternal. It is ever youthful, yet ancient. It is not destroyed when the body is destroyed. O oh, Partha, knowing the soul to be indestructible, eternal, birthless and immutable, how can a person kill or cause anyone to be killed? As a person adopts new garments, discarding those that were old and worn, similarly the soul continues to adopt new bodies, leaving those that are old and useless. Weapons cannot pierce the life that informs you. Fire cannot burn it. Water cannot wet it. No wind can make it dry. The soul is indivisible and cannot be burned, moistened, or dried. It is eternal. It reaches all planes, yet remains still, immovable, and ever-present. It is imperceptible, inconceivable, and untransformable. Therefore, 
knowing the nature of the soul is such, there is no reason to lament for it. And, O best of warriors, even if you think that the soul is perpetually subject to birth and death, you still have no reason to lament. For one who is born, death is certain, and for one who dies, he must be reborn to undergo the reactions of his past actions. Therefore you shall not lament for the over the inevitable. O Baharat, when all living beings are unmanifest before birth, manifest between birth and death, and again unmanifest at death, why lament for them? Some see the soul as astonishing. Some describe it as astonishing. Some hear of it as astonishing, while others, though hearing about it, know nothing of it. O Baharat, the soul dwelling within the bodies of all living beings is eternal and cannot be killed. Therefore, you need not lament for anyone. Moreover, considering your natural duty, you have no reason to waver since there is no action more auspicious for a warrior than a battle for justice. O Partha, only the most fortunate warriors are blessed with the opportunity of such a battle, which has come to you like an open door to heaven. But if you choose not to fight this battle for justice, your religious principles will be lost, your fame will desert you, and sin will overcome you. People will speak of your infamy for all time to come, and for the renowned infamies worse than death. The great warriors who highly honor you will ridicule you, considering that you were afraid to fight. Your enemies will mock you. What could be more painful? O oh, son of Kunti, if you are killed, you will attain heaven. If you are victorious, you will enjoy your life on earth. Therefore, being confident in your success, rise and fight. Considering pleasure and pain, gain and loss, and victory and defeat to be one and the same, fight. No sin will be incurred by you. I have revealed to you this knowledge of the soul. Now hear from me how to act in this knowledge, through which you will be able to free yourself from the bondage of action. On this path, there can be no loss and no harm. The slightest practice of such a spiritual ideal saves one from the greatest fear. O descendant of the Kuru dynasty, Resolute intelligence dedicated to me is one-pointed. I am its only objective. But irresolute intelligence is splayed by endless desires for mundane enjoyment. O Partha, unwise persons, knowing not that the chief directive of the Vedas is the attainment of spiritual truth, are fond of interpreting the fleeting and chanting words of the Karmakanda section of the Vedas as ultimate. Their hearts are filled with the desires and the goal is heaven. They advocate the many sacrifices and rituals that yield wealth, worldly pleasures, and high birth. Thus attached to their enjoyment and opulence, deluded by these flowery words of the books, they do not attain the resolve to dedicate themselves to God. O Arjuna, the Vedas deal with the three modes of material nature. But you, Arjuna, you must give up duality, and all pursuits for gain and preservation stand ever in the plane of truth, and by the yoga of wisdom transcend the modes of nature. As all the purposes served by several ponds can be served better by a large lake, similarly the fruits of worshipping the various gods by their respective Vedic prayers are surpassed by serving me. The knower of Brahma, who thus knows the purport of the Vedas, fulfills all life's objectives. Your right is to your work, never to the fruits. Be neither motivated by the fruit of your action nor inclined to give up action. O Kunti, give up the ego that you are the doer, and be equipoised in success and failure. Stand firm in the plane of yoga, and do your prescribed duties. Such a state of balance is indeed known as yoga. O Kunti, action is far inferior to this yoga of wisdom. Those motivated by the fruits of their actions are misers. Seek refuge in the selfless wisdom of equanimity. The wise person abstains from both good and bad actions in this world. Engage thus in yoga, as yoga is the art of all works. The wise are enlightened by giving up the fruits of their actions, and thus attaining liberation from the bondage of birth, they reveal the plane beyond all suffering.
when your intelligence fully emerges from the dense forest of illusion, you will be indifferent to all that has been heard or is yet to be heard. You shall attain perfect yoga and pure devotion when your intelligence, undisturbed by the apparent contractions of the Vedas, abides in the Lord alone. Arjuna said, O Kesava, what are the characteristics of the person of firmly established wisdom, who is fully absorbed in the state of supreme consciousness, the state of samadhi? How does such a man of steady mind speak, be, and act in this world? Krishna said, O Partha, one who rejects all desires that enter the mind and remains self-satisfied within is known as a person whose wisdom is firmly established. One who is undisturbed by sorrow, whose hankering for pleasure is gone, and who is free from attachment, fear, and anger, is known as a silent stage of steady mind. One who is not attached to anything in this world, who neither enjoys nor resents auspiciousness or inauspiciousness, his wisdom is fully established. When one's senses are controlled and totally withdrawn from their objects, like the limbs of a tortoise withdrawn in its shell, his wisdom is firmly established. The embodied being may renounce the sense objects, but the taste for them remains. But that too vanishes for the man of wisdom by his vision of the Supreme. And yet, O son of Kunti, the turbulent senses can forcefully plunder the mind of even the wisest person striving for liberation. Devoted to me, the Bhakti Yoga, or the act of worship, brings his senses over proper control, firmly establishes the wisdom of one whose senses are controlled. But one whose thoughts dwell on the objects of the senses becomes attached to them. From attachment, desire is born, and from desire, anger arises. Anger gives rise to delusion, and the power of delusion causes forgetfulness. Forgetfulness destroys the intelligence, and when intelligence is lost, one loses all. The integrated person who can control his mind at will, and who, free from attachment and repulsion, accepts his worldly necessities, though his controlled senses are not, and attains tranquility. When one attains a peaceful heart, all his sorrows are dispelled. A tranquil person's wisdom swiftly becomes steadfast. A person bereft of self-control can have neither wisdom nor meditation. Without meditation there is no peace, and without peace, where is the hope for happiness? As a boat in the ocean is thrown off course by an unfavorable wind, similarly the wisdom of a person lacking self-control is carried away by even one of the roaming senses that the mind might follow. Therefore, O subduer of the enemy, one whose senses are fully withdrawn from their objects, is a person of fully established wisdom. That which is day for the self-controlled sage is night for all beings, and that which is day for the beings is night for the sage who sees. As the ocean remains full and unchanged through many rivers and streams enter into it, the person of firmly established wisdom attains peace despite all desires entering him. But a person who nurtures desires cannot know peace. Only a person who lives his life abandoning all desires, hankering, ego, and possessiveness can know real peace. O Partha, this is realization of the Absolute, attaining which a person is freed from the delusion of mundane existence. Even at the time of death, only a momentary attachment of the state leads one to the divine abode. Arjuna said, O Kesava, O Krishna, if you consider wisdom superior to action, why do you urge me to engage in the massacring of my brothers? I am confused by your words. They appear to be ambiguous. Sometimes you support action, and sometimes you support wisdom. So tell me, which is the most beneficial path for me to take? The Supreme Lord replied, O sinless one, I have described the two paths to be found in this world. The yoga of wisdom practiced by the realized 
and the yoga, yoga of selfless action practiced by those active in the world. Both paths touch the beginnings of devotional practice, since the ladder to the plane of devotion is one, while the practice is twofold according to the stage attained. One cannot attain freedom from action by refraining from action, nor can one attain fulfillment by renunciation alone. No one can refrain from activity for even a moment. Everyone is impelled to act by the modes of material nature. One who externally restrains his hands, legs, and other senses of action, but whose mind dwells on sense objects, is a fool. Know him to be a hypocrite. O Arjuna, superior is the one who has stabilized his senses by the mind and acted in the yoga of selfless action. Perform your duties, since to be active is better than idleness. Inactive persons cannot even maintain their existence. Selfless duty performed as an offering to the Supreme Lord is sacrifice. O Arjuna, all action performed for any other purpose is the cause of bondage in this world of repeated birth and death. Therefore, remaining unattached to the fruits of action, perform all of your duties in the spirit of such sacrifice. In the beginning, Lord Brahma manifested the progeny of the world, along with sacrifices. He instructed them thus, Take shelter of this religious principle of sacrifice, prosper and flourish. May such sacrifice be the bestower of the things you desire. Propitiate the gods by sacrifices, and may they satisfy you by bestowing your desired fruits. In this way, through mutual nourishment, you will be the gainers of great auspiciousness. Propitiated by sacrifices, the gods, my worldly representatives, will bestow upon you all your desired enjoyable things. But one who enjoys what is given by the gods without offering to them is a thief. By accepting sacrificial remnants of the universal gods, virtuous persons are liberated from all sins arising from violence towards other living entities. But those who prepare food for their own pleasure partake only of sin. The living beings' bodies are manifest from food, food is manifest from rain, rainfall ensues from the performance of sacrifice, and action is the cause of sacrifice. Action is prescribed in the Vedas, and the Vedas originate in Aksara, the imperishable. Therefore the all-pervading, imperishable Lord is ever-present within the acts of sacrifice offered to him. O Arjuna, one who does not respect this natural causal cycle leads to a life of sin and enjoys the senses in vain. Yet there is no duty to fulfill for the realized person who delights within himself, being fully satisfied within. In the world, he neither gains by action nor loses by inaction. He does not depend on any other living being for any purpose. So perform your prescribed duties without attachment. Be selflessly executing one's duties. A person attains liberation. True liberation is a state of pure devotion, attained by the maturity of selfless action. King Janaka and other learned personalities succeeded in attaining devotion through the execution of their prescribed duties. So it is fitting that you fulfill your duty in consideration of the welfare of those people. The masses follow the ways of great men, following the standards they set. O oh, Arjuna, I have no duty in the three worlds. I lack nothing, and there is nothing to be attained by me. And yet, I myself am active. O oh, Arjuna, if ever I do not attain engaging, attentive in all duties, then all men, following my example, will give up on their duties. If I do not engage in my dharma, the people of these worlds will renounce their duties and fall to ruin. Thus I will be responsible for their downfall caused by adulterated progeny. O Arjuna, as ignorant persons work with attachment, the wise too must work, but without attachment, in order to guide the general people who exist in the plane of worldly action. The scripturally learned teacher should not create a confusion in the minds of ignorant, attached men by apparently advocating the neglect of duty for the cultivation of knowledge. Rather, he should set the example of selflessness in fulfilling duties, 
thus encouraging the ignorant in the performance of their prescribed duties. All actions in the world are in every respect affected by the modes of material nature, but a man, deluded by the bodily identification, thinks, I alone am accomplishing this work. However, O mighty-armed Arjuna, one who is in knowledge of the division of the modes of material nature and action, knows that the modes are engaging within the modes, and he is detached from them. Persons bewildered by the modes of nature are absorbed in the functions of the modes. Enlightened persons should not agitate such an ignorant, unfortunate person by trying to convince him of their higher philosophical truths. Rather, they should advise the conditioned souls to practice selfless action, which liberates them from absorption in the modes. Surrender all your activities to me with this understanding. All my actions are under the control of the indwelling Lord. In such consciousness, free from possessiveness and anguish, take recourse to battle as your duty. Faithful, unbegrudging men who always practice my teaching, this yoga of selfless action, are liberated from the bondage of action, even though they engage in action. Beat the arrogant who resent my teaching are all bereft of knowledge. Know them to be lost in ignorance. For even a knowledgeable person tends to act according to his nature. The living being's endeavors are dictated by their natures. What then can repression accomplish? Although the senses are attracted to and repelled by the sense objects, one must not be controlled by these urges, for they are the greatest enemy of the candidate for self-realization. Even if it is imperfect, it is better to do one's duty according to one's own nature than to do another's well. Even death and the discharge of one's own duty is better, for to perform another's is dangerous. Arjuna inquired, O descendant of the Rishnis, by what is the living being compelled to commit sinful activities, even unwillingly, as if by force? The Supreme Lord replied, It is the desire to enjoy the mundane that induces a person to commit sin, and in different situations it produces anger. It is utterly insatiable, extremely malicious, and the worst enemy of the living being in this world. As fire is thinly veiled by smoke, as a mirror is thickly covered with dust, and as the embryo remains completely enclosed within the womb. Similarly, this desire covers the consciousness of the living being in, this in these three degrees of intensity, according to the modes of material nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance, respectively. Knowledge is covered by desire, the constant enemy of the wise. It burns like an insatiable fire. It is said that this enemy, desire, dwelling within the senses, mind, and intelligence, covers the perception of the embodied living being and deludes him. Therefore, O noblest of the Bharatas, control your senses and destroy this desire, the embodiment of sin which destroys both knowledge and realization. It is said by the wise that the senses are superior to matter, the mind is superior to senses, and the intelligence is superior to the mind, and the soul is superior even to the intelligence. O mighty Arjuna, knowing the soul to be superior to the intelligence, steady the mind with resolute intelligence and destroy the formidable enemy, desire. The Supreme Lord said, I imparted this imperishable yoga of knowledge, achieved by selfless action, to Surya, the presiding deity of the sun. Surya taught it to his son, Vaivastamanu, who passed it on to his son, Iksvaktu. O conqueror of the enemy, thus the saintly kings such as Nimi, Janaka, and others learned this yoga, which was passed down to them by disciplic succession. But in the course of time, this teaching has been lost. You are my devotee and my friend. I now reveal to you the supreme secret, the eternal yoga. Arjuna said, Vivasvan, the sun god, was born in ancient times, long before you were. Therefore, how am I to consider that you previously gave these teachings to him? 
The Supreme Lord said, O chastiser of the enemy, both you and I have passed through many births. I can remember all of them, whereas you, Arjuna, cannot. Although my eternal form is transcendental to birth and death, I am the Lord of all beings. I appear within the world in my divine nature, by my sweet will extending my eternal potency. O Baharata, whenever there is decline of religion and the uprising of irreligion, I personally make my advent. I appear age after age to deliver the saintly devotees, vanquish the miscreant, and firmly establish true religion. O Arjuna, one who comes to know thus the truth of my pastimes of the divine birth and activities, does not undergo rebirth. After giving up this body, he attains me. Free from attachment, fear, and anger, many persons have taken shelter in me, absorbing their hearts in my services. Purified by knowledge and the fire of ordeal, in my service they have attained divine love for me. Howsoever people surrender to me, I accordingly reward them. Being the ultimate goal of all paths, I am the objective to be attained by all. O Partha, all men follow my various paths. Persons who desire the fruit of their actions worship the gods, since in the human plane the actions swiftly bear fruit. The four social divisions, classified according to the material modes of nature and corresponding activities, are all manifest by me. Although I am the doer of this, know me to be the non-doer and unchangeable. I am never implicated by action, nor do I desire the fruits of it. One who knows me thus, as the Supreme Lord, is never bound by action. Knowing this basic principle, seekers of liberation in previous times renounced all fruit of work and performed their duties as a selfless offering to me. Likewise, you should adopt this yoga of selfless wisdom as you did the saintly persons of yore. What is action? What is inaction? Even the learned have difficulty understanding this. Hence, I shall enlighten you in this matter, knowing which you will be liberated from inauspiciousness. The true nature of action is difficult to comprehend. One should understand prescribed action, prohibited action, and inaction. One who sees action within inaction, and inaction within action, is wise among men. He is a yogi and performer of all actions. One whose every action is without fruit of desire, and who burns all action in the fire of knowledge, is described by the wise as learned. Such a person, giving up attachment to the fruits of action, fully content in the eternal bliss within, and free from mundane dependence, though fully active, does nothing at all. Desireless, controlling mind and body by the intelligence, and renouncing all possessiveness and acquisition, no sinful or pious reaction is incurred by such a person who may act to acquire mundane objects merely for his bodily sustenance. Content with whatever is readily available and unaffected by dualities, such a person has no envy. He is equipoised, neither elated nor dejected in success or in failure. Though active, he is not bound. For one who is detached, enlightened, and liberated, all his actions performed in the spirit of sacrifice are perfectly dissipated. The ladle is Brahma. The oblation is Brahma, offered by Brahma, into the fire of Brahma. One whose consciousness is fully absorbed in Brahma action certainly attains to Brahma, the Absolute. Some yogis offer sacrifices to the demigods, and others offer the self into the fire of Brahma by vibrating the Paranva Mantra. Om. Some offer their senses of hearing, touching, seeing, tasting and smelling into the fires of self-control, yet others offer the sense objects of sound, touch, form, taste, and smell into the fire of the senses. Again, there are the yogis who offer all the function of the senses and of the life forces into the yogic fire of self-purification ignited by knowledge. Sincere in their practices and faithful to their vows, some people sacrifice their possessions. Some undergo strict penances as a sacrifice, 
Some practice the eightfold mystic yoga as a sacrifice, and yet others perform knowledge sacrifice by singing and introspectively studying the Vedas. Others practice breath control, closing the right nostril, inhaling through the left. They bring the ascending air into union with the descending, closing the left nostril and exhaling through the right. They similarly offer the descending air into the ascending, then closing both nostrils. They check both ascending and descending airs, yet other practitioners of self-control offer all the senses into life airs by reducing their food intake. All these persons are knowers of sacrifice, purified by it. Enjoying the nectarian remnants of sacrifice, they attain to the eternal plane of the Absolute. O Arjuna, foremost of the Kurus, without sacrifice one cannot attain fulfillment in this world, to say nothing of the next. Thus many types of sacrifice are described in the Vedas and allied scriptures. Know that they are all accomplished through action of thought, word, and deed. Knowing this, you will be liberated from the bondage of action. O Arjuna, subduer of the enemy, knowledge sacrifice is superior to the sacrifice of material objects because the perfection of all action, including its fruit, is the culmination in knowledge. You will be able to attain knowledge by satisfying the Divine Master with submission, relevant inquiry, and sincere service. The enlightened souls who are learned in scriptural knowledge and endowed with the direct realization of the Supreme, Absolute Truth will impart divine knowledge to you. O Pandava, when you are enlightened by the knowledge of the reality, you will no longer be subject to your present illusion. You will see the one spiritual nature in all species of life, from highest to lowest, and that they are all situated within me. Even if you are the most sinful of all sinners, you will cross the ocean of sins by the boat of my knowledge. As a blazing fire renders wood to ash, O Arjuna, the fire of knowledge burns all worldly actions. In this world, there is nothing pure as knowledge. Eventually, a person who has achieved perfection in the yoga of selfless action naturally realizes this knowledge within his heart. It is the devoted, faithful, and sense-controlled person who attains knowledge. Achieving enlightenment, such a person soon attains the supreme peace. The ignorant, the faithless, and doubting person is doomed to misfortune. For the doubting soul, there can be happiness neither in this life nor the next. O Dhananjaya, renouncing all worldly desires by following the path of selfless action, one who severs all his doubts by knowledge and realizes his eternal divine nature can never be bound by action. Therefore, O Bharat, with the sword of knowledge, slash to shreds all these doubts in your heart which are born of ignorance. Take refuge in selfless action and arise for battle. Arjuna said, O Krishna, you speak of renunciation of actions, and then again you speak of the path of selfless action. Please tell me clearly which is superior. The Supreme Lord said, Both renunciation of action and the path of selfless action bring great benefit. Yet of the two, know that the way of selfless action is superior. Arjuna, know that the one who is free from attraction and a virgin is truly renounced, though performing action. One who is free from the duality easily attains liberation from his bondage. The path of renunciation and the path of selfless action are considered separate paths by the unwise, but they are not learned. One who perfectly follows either of these paths will achieve the result of both. The state achieved by the renunciation of action is also achieved by the performance of selfless action. One who sees these two paths to be one and the same actually sees. O mighty hero, without selfless action, mere renunciation of action is the cause of sorrow. But the wise man who engages in selfless action swiftly attains to the absolute. The clean-hearted man, thus engaged in the yoga, controls his mind and senses. Becoming filled with affection and compassion for all beings, although fully active, he is never implicated by any action 
The realized karma yogi performs the activities of seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, eating, moving, sleeping, breathing, speaking, grasping objects, blinking the eyes, and so on. And he understands. My sense organs function in relation to the respective objects of form. And he says, I do not perform any action at all. One who, though living in this world, selflessly offers all his actions to the Supreme Lord, is not polluted by sin, as a lotus leaf remains on the water, yet is untouched by it. By giving up attachment, the karma yogis perform action merely through the body, mind, intelligence, and even the senses, for self-purification. Giving up attachment to the fruits of his actions, and materially unmotivated, he attains constant peace, and he attains liberation from actions and from their reactions. But the fruit of worker is attached to the fruits, and he becomes implicated by his actions. Mentally renouncing all actions, the sense-controlled embodied living being resides happily within the city of nine gates, neither acting nor causing work for others. The Lord does not generate anyone's ego of considering themselves the doer, nor their actions, nor their association with the fruit of their actions. These are all a result of their external nature of ignorance since time immemorial. The Supreme Lord accepts neither the sin nor the piety of anyone. The living beings fall into illusion because their knowledge is covered by ignorance. For persons whose divine knowledge has awakened, their ignorance is destroyed, and their wisdom, like the shining sun, reveals the supreme reality. Those whose illusion has been completely dispelled by knowledge always think of me. I am their meditation, and they abide in me alone. Hearing and singing my unending glories in pure devotion, thus they are liberated from the mundane. These enlightened souls see transcendence within all living beings, whether the humble learned Brahman, the cow, the elephant, the dog, and the man who eats the dog. Therefore they are known as Pandit, men of true wisdom. Those whose minds are equipoised in Brahma have conquered the cycle of birth and death while living within the world. By their perfect spiritual equanimity, they are always situated in transcendence. Absorbed in transcendence, endowed with steady intelligence, and free from the delusion of thinking the body and associated objects as me and mine, the knower of the Absolute is neither happy when pleasant things come, nor sad when unpleasant things come his way. Detaching his mind from external pleasures, such a knower of the absolute truth tastes the inner joy of self-realization. Then absorbing himself in meditation on the absolute, he experiences an inexhaustible bliss. O son of Kunti, the pleasures that arise from the contact of the senses with their objects are the cause of unhappiness. And they are transient. The wise never delight on such pleasures. Know that one who, before leaving the body, utilizes the opportunity of this life to check the impulses of desire and anger. He is a yogi who knows true happiness. Such a yogi sees the self within and delights in the bliss of the self within. Attaining the transcendental state, he attains liberation from matter and entry into the abode of Brahma. Sinless, free from doubt, self-controlled, and dedicated to the welfare of all living beings, the seers of truth attain such liberation. Persons of the renounced order who have controlled their thoughts and who are free from desire and anger and who have achieved knowledge of the nature of the soul are liberated whether they live or die. Expelling from the mind all the external sense objects, centering the concentration and establishing the incoming and outgoing breath, subjugating the senses, dedicating himself to liberation, his fear, his desire and anger are gone. Such a sage is liberated. I am the enjoyer and objective of sacrifices performed by persons of action and of the austerities performed by persons of knowledge. I am Narayan, the indwelling monitor of all planes of life, the worshipable supreme reality who awards liberation. 
I am Krishna, the well-wisher of all and the dear friend of the devotees. One who knows me thus attains the bliss of knowing his own original divine identity. The Supreme Lord said, Know a genuine sannyasi and yogi as one who, without expectation of the fruits of his action, performs his duties as prescribed by the scriptures. One is not a sannyasi merely by renouncing the performance of the fire of sacrifice and other prescribed duties, and one is not a yogi merely by becoming physically inactive. O Arjuna, that which is known as sannyas, complete renunciation, you should know to be yoga, since without renouncing fruit of desire, no one can be a yogi. For the yoga practitioner desirous of attaining steady yoga meditation, action is said to be the means. When he has achieved yoga meditation, renunciation of all action is said to be the means of remaining in meditation. When the yoga practitioner does not become attached to the objects of the senses and to any action in pursuit of their enjoyment, and renounces all thoughts of enjoyment, he is said to have attained yoga. One must elevate himself by the mind, not degrade himself by the mind, for the mind is sometimes the friend of the being, and in other situations he is that very being's enemy. For one who has conquered the mind, his mind is his friend. For one unable to control his mind, his mind works against him like an enemy. The yogi who has conquered the mind remains deeply absorbed in yogic trance, peaceful, undisturbed by heat or cold, happiness or unhappiness, honor or dishonor. One who is always satisfied within by both knowledge and realization, who is always fixed in his spiritual nature, who is sense-controlled and who has the vision of equality for a clod of earth, a rock or gold, is said to be such a person to have attained true yoga. Such an eminent yogi has the vision of equality towards a well-wisher, a friend, an enemy, an indifferent person, a saint, a sinner, a good man, a bad man, or a relative. The yogi should be constantly concentrated in his mind by remaining alone in a solitary place. He can be free from his mind. He can be free from desire and acquisition. In a clean place, not too high, not too low, the yogi should establish a firm seat of kusagras, deer skin, and cloth. And then sitting on that seat, subjugating all mental and sensual activity with one point in concentration, he should practice meditational trance in order to purify his heart. Soberly keeping his mind, head and neck straight and upright, poised, the yogi should fix his gaze at one point, as though between the eyes, without casting a glance in any direction. Tranquil, fearless, and reposed in the vow of celibacy, he should meditate on me as the four-armed Vishnu, and devoting himself to me, he should thus practice yoga. In this way, constantly absorbing his mind in meditation, the yogi who has ceased hankering for material enjoyment achieves the peace of liberation from mundanity, the peace which is, abides in me, in my Brahma effulgence. O Arjuna, yoga cannot be practiced by one who overeats, undereats, oversleeps, or undersleeps. For a person who keeps, eats, relaxes, and works in a regulated way, one who keeps regular hours in proper measure, his practice of yoga dispels all his suffering. When a yoga withdraws the mind from mundane thoughts and centers it unwaveringly in the self, then, free from mundane desires, he is said to be actually situated in yoga and linked with the Absolute. It is said, as a lamp flame situated in windless peace does not waver. Similarly, the mind of a yogi absorbed in the self never flickers in its concentration. The mind controlled by yoga practice is tranquil, pacified by detachment from mundane associated. The yogi remains satisfied in the Lord alone, directly seeing the Supersoul through his purified consciousness. In his spiritual enlightenment, he tastes transcendental 
eternal bliss. He never deviates from this reality. He considers that there is no greater gain in this world. He is undisturbed by even the worst suffering. Knowing that the attainment of such a taste, in which all associated with unhappiness is severed, is called yoga. Yoga must be practiced with perseverance and a heart that is never discouraged. To practice yoga, one must abandon all thoughts that give rise to desires, and using the mind, withdraw the senses from all material objects. By steadying the intelligence, one should gradually still the mind and focus it within the self alone. The wavering and unsteady mind should be brought back from whatever mundane objects it pursues and be held within the self alone. The transcendental joy of self-realization comes to the yogi whose passions are quieted, who is peaceful-hearted, free from the defects of attachment, fear, and anger, and always situated in the spiritual nature. Thus absorbed in self-realization, the clean-hearted yogi easily attains the boundless ecstasy of contracting the divine. He realizes the super-soul. His consciousness united with the infinite, the master of yoga sees the universal spirituality. He sees the supreme soul within all beings, and all beings within supreme. For one who sees me in everything, and everything in me, I am never lost to him, and he is never lost to me. The yogi who takes shelter of me and adores me in my non-different form as the supersoul, situated within the heart of every living being, abides in me in all circumstance. I consider the best of all yogis to be the one who knows the happiness and unhappiness of all beings as his own. Arjuna spoke, and he said, O Mahusadan, because of the fickle nature of the mind, I cannot conceive how one can maintain the equilibrium in yoga that you have described. O Krishna, the mind is fickle, turbulent, obstinate and powerful. I consider controlling it to be more difficult than controlling the wind. The Supreme Lord said, O heroic Arjuna, undoubtedly the mind is fickle and extremely difficult to control. However, O son of Kunti, it is possible by practice and detachment. I consider that yoga is difficult to attain for the person who is unrestrained mind. But one who strives to restrain the mind by the appropriate practice can succeed in yoga. Arjuna said, O Krishna, what is the destination of a person who, due to his faith in the scriptures, engages in yoga practice but lacking perseverance, proper practice, and abdignation is distracted by mundane inclinations and fails to succeed in yoga practice? O mighty hero, Having deviated from the yoga of attaining the absolute, shelterless and fallen from the paths of both action and meditation, is not such a person utterly lost like a scattered cloud? O oh Krishna, no one but you can dispel this doubt of mine. Please mercifully slash it at the root. The Supreme Lord said, O oh Arjuna, son of Kunti, there is no loss for the unsuccessful yoga practitioner as he is not denied the happiness of the heavenly plane in this world, nor is he denied the chance of the fortune to see the super-soul in transcendental realms. This is so, O oh dear one, because a person who performs virtuous action never suffers an ill fate. After residing for many years in all those heavenly planes that are attainable by the performers of great sacrifices, the unsuccessful yoga practitioner takes birth in the home of honorable, prosperous persons given to pure and honest practices. Or he takes birth in the home of a family of teachers of yoga who are dedicated to yoga practice. Such a birth is more rarely attained in this world. O son of Kuru, within one of these situations, the wisdom he had attained in his previous life is revived, and he again strives for success. Despite himself, he is carried by the yoga practice of his previous life. In his search, he surpasses the fruit of rituals of the Vedas. Striving harder than before, the yogi's consciousness is cleansed of all worldly attachment, and he achieves the fruit of many lifetimes of yoga practice. He attains the supreme destination.
The yogi is superior to persons engaged in severe austerities, superior to the person of knowledge, and superior to the person of action. Know this to be my conclusion. Therefore, O Arjuna, be a yogi. With that, that concludes the first of three parts. I'm going to be doing this on Saturday and next Tuesday. This episode should either be released tonight or tomorrow morning, either one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you don't mind that it's just me this week and all throughout this week. This week is just JT's week. Only me. (laughs) No Tristan Ricks. Be all of you like Arjuna and focus yourself inward and be at peace. And do your fruit of action by subscribing to the Patreon. (laughs) Give us money in this hard time. Thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers as normal. And thank you all for listening. Have a good night.